0: Well, good morning. How are we doing? Excellent. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. Thanks for taking some time out of your Sunday to hang out. My name is Mitchell. For those of you I have not been able to meet yet, uh, shake a hand or give a hug or a fist bump to this morning. And I'm grateful to be able to serve here on Stafford Journey. Um, to For my wife and I to both be part of the family uh, and now to be able to serve the family is is such a blessing and so I'm grateful for the opportunity to bring the word today and the trust that uh, Scott and Olivia and Olivia and the leadership board have in me in this way Uh, it's it's humbling and it's a blessing uh, and it's truly exciting Um, and two things get me really excited the first one is what we celebrated last week people getting baptized that is just one of yes it is one of the most encouraging things to me to see anybody, just happen to be a bunch of students, which is awesome, but anybody who's willing to take that step in entering the baptism waters and proclaiming their faith and salvation in Jesus Christ and being baptized, being laid to rest their sin, and being raised anew afresh. And I love that. And the second one is, is actually what we did this morning, communion. Um, in, in the tradition of the church, this is a time, like, like Scott was talking about, of a remembrance of what Christ did for humanity, and and we are individually a part of that, but us collectively, as humans, in His desire to reconcile us, to put us back into right relationship and with God, and break His own body to pour out His own blood, He went to the cross willingly for us, not because He had to, but because he, but because He chose to. And those two are a bit of a juxtaposition, like it's this yes. And where we see the celebration and baptism and the somberness of him being crucified on the cross and then raised again three days later. So uh, I come in this morning a little uh, excited, um, a little fired up. Uh, if I make the babies here cry, I'm going to just apologize on the front end. Uh, because I think when we open the word of God, it should give us life. Uh, and life to the full, as Jesus described it. So uh, we're just going to jump right in today. There's, uh, I think there's a lot in this next ch- chunk of chapter 8 that we're going to look at. But first, we're going to go back, because uh, I think it's important. Last week, Scott talked about Jesus being the light of the world, which is uh, a significant I am statement of Jesus. And, and we see this specifically in John's gospel, where he has these I am statements throughout the story. And he says, I am the light of the world. And so with that, let's go back a little bit further, back to the beginning of John, chapter 1. Because this is where we actually first hear this statement about Jesus. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. This is a piece of the character of who Christ is. He is the light of the world. He is the light of life. And where his light drives out darkness, darkness can't overcome it. It can't take it back To call itself. And that is true for us. As we receive Christ's salvation, his light indwells within us. Satan and the darkness that he brings, it can't take us over because of Christ's light within us. And that is that brings freedom. That brings freedom in Jesus Christ. And that's a little bit of what we're going to look at today. But I want to preface by just echoing what Scott said last week: is that Jesus used some strong words with that chunk of scripture that we looked at last week when he talked to the Pharisees. He was in some ways blunt, uh, in some ways just very uh, direct with these Pharisees that, that were the ones that knew the word the most, but they were hung up. There was this misunderstanding. They couldn't actually hear the word. They knew the Old Testament word, but they couldn't hear the word Jesus. They didn't have room to understand what he was saying. And as we head into this next chunk of chapter 8, the same is true. Uh, we're going to hear Jesus be really direct. Uh, call the Pharisees on some of their stuff. Uh, and he's, he's going to make a statement um, that is, in a lot of ways, really offensive to them. And in some ways, uh, should offend us as well. And there's a, there's a statement that I've heard that, that when there's uh, attention, it needs your attention. Jesus' words to the Pharisees caused tension within them. And they didn't give it the attention that it needed, and they responded with offense. And so this morning, my prayer is that as we hear these words from Christ and look at these two big points that he pulls uh, for us in chapter 8, that it would actually create tension within us. And that we would pause, and that we would quiet ourselves, and we would discern, and we would allow the Holy Spirit to create space for us to give it attention. And like, why is this tension here? Why is my heart upset by this? So, John chapter 8, verse 31 is where we're going to pick up this story. As I get there myself, here we go. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you, what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If, he were, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father." We are not in illegitimate children they pronounced we the only father we have is god himself and jesus said to them if god were your father you would love me for i have come here from god i have not come on my own god sent me why is my language not clear to you because you are unable to hear what i say you belong to your father the devil And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove my guilt of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Strong words. Here is the elect of the religious leaders, the, the top tier, the top echelon, and he's saying that their father is Satan. Because they're acting as which, in a way as which, like their father. That's very uh, very strong, so two major points we 'll look at this morning, the first of which is found at the very beginning, and it 's this mark of a true disciple. Um, I, I, uh, my, my role here part of my role is is working with the youth, uh, which I love. go journey youth, see you tonight it 's going to be great um, and the other half of, of my role here is discipleship, which really I think like it encompasses the youth aspect too because I think we 're just called to make disciples. Of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like I just believe that Matthew twenty eight is 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 how we should function as followers of Jesus. But that discipleship piece, like that word, is significant to me uh, because my faith actually became my own and grew because I got discipled, not because I went to church. There's a big difference in there because this aspect is great. Like, I love this. I love coming together with the body of Christ, worshiping, sitting underneath the the teaching of the word, connecting, hugging, high-fiving, drinking coffee, laughing, joking. I love it. Serving. It's a huge piece. But for me, in my story, I was not challenged and I was not pushed and I was not encouraged until I got in a group with some other guys and my youth pastor and started reading the Bible talking about it, praying for each other, and trying to live it out. That is discipleship. And Lauren and I were just talking this weekend how, like, for us, like, the things that that we remember from our youth pastors, it wasn't youth group. It wasn't any message that they shared or any profound thing that they spoke from stage, but it was sharing life. It was going over to the houses and goofing off and eating way too much pizza and staying up too late or going and swimming in their pool or wh- whatever it may be. Going to going and hitting, uh, we used to go into the batting cages and I-, I didn't play baseball and so I was a massive failure. But we'd just go and hit like we'd go play mini golf at ten o'clock at night because you can. Like those are the things that you remembered of sharing life with each other. And so when we look at this word disciple. Uh, it's important that we understand that when we read that in the New Testament, that that comes from a Greek root. So the whole New Testament was written in Greek. And so there's a Greek word, uh, which I'm going to try to say. Uh, if our friends were here, I don't think they are, Casey and Taylor, uh, they, they know Greek really well and they would correct me because I'm going to say it wrong. But the word uh, is, to the best I can say it, methodis, And it refers to any student, pupil, uh, any any uh, follower or apprentice. And it's presented in this like it's the opposite of a teacher. So you're absorbing, you're following, you're watching, you're not teaching. That's what this word in Greek means. Which is where we get to the word disciple. Which is, means to us, in our definition, a follower. And I think that this word to follow is is significant. And unfortunately, we don't have the time to talk about it because we really want to talk about the word of God. But being a follower of Jesus means that we hear what he says and do what he does. To make it really simple. And in this first chunk of scripture, we see Jesus calling out the Pharisees because they're not actually doing what he says. They actually don't have any room in them for what he says. Verse 31, the Jews who had believed Jesus, he said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So a mark of a true follower of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, is someone that holds to his teachings. Somebody that has studied, watched, followed, and then does what they can, their very best to emulate and to stick to what Jesus taught. Now, Jesus' teachings were full of truth. And capital T truth. This is the the trump card. His truth is final and perfect. And he says that his truth will set you free. There's 32. Then you will know the truth. When we hold to his teachings, we will know his truth. And the truth will set us free. Free from what? Free from what? Free from uh, peer pressure. Free from... um, uh, performance anxiety, maybe free from, no, free from sin. Christ came to set us free from sin. He came to save sinners, not to try and save society. He came to save people and set people free from our sin that is within us, uh, which goes, and I sp- said, most sp- said this last time, Genesis chapter 3, we go all the way back to the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve are in the garden. It's beautiful and peaceful and enter in the serpent. And the serpent deceives Adam and Eve by with two temptations and two deceitful statements. The first one, did God really say? Doubting God's word. And the second one, you will be like God. So there's two Two original sins that Adam and Eve believed. Two lies from the father of lies that they believed. That they, that they can doubt God's word and that they themselves could be like God. They could be, put themselves on the throne of their own lives and rule better than Christ could. Which is a very scary statement to say that out loud. But that, that's the original lie. I look at the world around us. I look at, at our nation. Uh, even our communities to a degree. And, and, and I look at myself myself. And those are the two fundamental things that I entertain lies about. That this word isn't actually maybe true. Or uh, maybe it doesn't fully apply to me. Doubting God's word. And man, I, I can put myself at the center of attention. I can act like I'm in charge of my life. I can put something on the throne that is other than Christ and it does not satisfy That is what Christ came to set us free from. Free from our own sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat and it's sinking. And we don't have enough buckets to bail water out of it fast enough. We need a Savior. If there, if there is no sin, we don't need a Savior. If we don't understand what we need to be saved from, then we don't need Jesus Christ our Savior. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The price that we pay for the sin in our lives, the things that we have done wrong against others and against God, the price is death. That's the penalty, which is why Christ came and why he lived and then why he died and why he was raised again, the rest of Romans 6.23, for the glory of God is eternal life. For the gift of God is eternal life. Sorry, for the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus is the gift. He's the giver of salvation. We can't earn it. And so when Christ comes and he says, the truth will set you free, and then he follows it up with, you are enslaved to sin. He is stating that he is the one that sets us free. Because he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So, when he's speaking these things to the Pharisees, and they're getting all of this tension inside them because of their system of religion that they had created, it was undermining all of that. It was falling apart. The house of cards was folding. And there's this tension within them that was being created because Jesus was saying, Look, I am the solution, I am the place for salvation. Come to me. And that gift is, is so good. So knowing and trusting and living by the truth of God's word is a mark of a true follower of Jesus. This is why our high schoolers are reading the Bible right now. Every single one of them, to some degree. Maybe not perfectly, and there's grace, and that's okay. But they're on a, they're, we have chosen to read through the entire New Testament this school year. So they started in September and we're about to enter into 1 Corinthians. We're about to wrap up Romans. And by the end of this school year, they will have read through the entire New Testament. Why? Because it's truth. And I don't know if students right now need, need more than truth. Like they, if they, there's so many lies in our culture that for students that are trying to navigate the schools and navigate culture and navigate friends and navigate sports and navigate dance, and, we need truth. And I don't think that is just for students. I think for us as the church, we need truth. We need to know what truth is. The whole, the whole old adage of counterfeiters, people that can see counterfeit dollars, and they don't study counterfeit bills. They just study the real thing. And they know the real thing so well that when they see anything that isn't the real thing, that's like, ah, not real. Are we as followers of Jesus, do we know the real thing? Do we know truth so well that when we hear it, when we see it, we know that's not it. That's not truthful. That's the mark of a true disciple, of a follower of Jesus. I uh, I found this quote by Dallas Willard that I think is really powerful. Um, Dallas Willard is one of my favorite authors um, and just an incredible pastor who had an impact in a lot of leaders as well. But he says this, now the disciple lives naturally, sorry, how the disciple lives naturally comes out of who the disciple is. He's getting to identity. As Jesus' disciple, I am his apprentice in kingdom living. I am living from, from him, learning from him how to lead my life in the kingdom of the heavens as he would lead my life if he were I. It is my faith in him that led me to become his disciple. Being his apprentice is, therefore, not a matter of special religious activities, but an orientation and quality of my entire existence. This is what is meant by Jesus when he says that those who do not forsake all cannot be his disciple. The emphasis is upon the all. There must be nothing held to greater value than Jesus and his kingdom. Nothing. We have a kingdom of God. There's a king on the throne of his kingdom. He must be clearly seen as the most important thing in our human life. And being his apprentice is the greatest opportunity any human being ever has. I love that last sentence. Being his apprentice is the greatest opportunity any human being ever has. Uh, man, that's so good. I won't I have a thought, but we won't go there. All right, verse 33. Verse 33, we see the we see the Pharisees respond to Jesus we see them um, speak from this tension that he's starting to stir within them. It says this, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves to anyone. How how can you say that we shall be set free? Um, There's this, we'll see this kind of from cover to cover in John's story, but we constantly see people misunderstanding Jesus. And I want to give the Pharisees the benefit of the doubt and believe the best. But when I read that statement, I'm like, that's I don't understand how they got to that point of saying that they've been, never been slaves to anyone. Because they spent 400-ish years in slavery to Egypt. And then God's people were also in exile, another form of bondage to say to the Babylonians. And even in this current context that they're speaking to, the Roman Empire was oppressing God's people. Heavy taxes heavy laws on them, like and that, that form of bondage or slavery was present even then. So when they make this statement, I'm like, man, is that just a flat-out lie? Like, are they just denying the reality? Are they unable to see real life because of what they imagine things should look like, even though it's not true? And, and we don't really know, and again, there's a lot of nuance here, and there's a lot going on, but at the end of the day, I, I was astonished by that claim, because they, they claim that they're descendants of Abraham. And, and, and again, we're going to look at the Greek because I think this is important to draw this. Christ says, yeah, 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 you are descendants of Abraham. But then he says, you're not children of Abraham. And I think we, English, sometimes doesn't do always the great, greatest justice on this, but there's a difference between descendants and children. In English, they kind of like, oh yeah, like you're like from that person, like you're a descendant, it means you're a child, like maybe a grandchild, you know, the, the lineage goes on. Uh, to Christ in the Greek uh, descendants and children are vastly, vastly different. The, the word in Greek for descendants is sperma, which is literally from one seed. You call the whole lineage. But then the word for child is techna, And they're vastly different. They're totally different from each other. They're not derivatives of each other. And so when he says, you are descendants, yes, but you're not acting like his children. Your behaviors do not align with your lineage because Abraham never tried to kill Christ and you're trying to find a way to kill me. I find that fascinating and important as we study scripture to really seek what the Lord is trying to tell us. That's a huge piece is that aspect of understanding that like the Greek and the English doesn't they don't always do each other justice. So, as we look at this gospel again in verse 43, we, we have this misunderstandings that keep on happening. And we get an explanation from Jesus. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Why are you misunderstanding me? Why aren't you getting this? And he answers his own question. He says, because you are unable to hear what I say. Um, the commentaries and kind of the background on this, what is believed is that Jesus wasn't talking about Auditory ability, like they could audibly hear him, but they're talking more about spiritual competency. They weren't spiritually able to understand what Jesus was actually saying to them. They had their own uh, agenda or their presupposition that they were reading into his words. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's happened to me where I say something and somebody takes it a certain way, I'm like, "Oh, I did." That is not how I meant it to be. And, and that's frustrating. Like, and I'm, I'm not Jesus. I'm not saying that. But like I find that frustrating when I'm not able to communicate well enough. But here, it's not that he's a, not communicating well. They just don't want to hear what he has to say. And so that, that brings up the, the question on my mind is then, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to make room in us for what God has to say to us as a church? Are we creating space to hear from him, to be with him? Are we, are we absorbing what he's telling us? Are we really actually hearing it? Are we applying it to our lives? Are we allowing it to transform us? Because God's word always transforms. It always transforms us. And that backs it up even more. Can you even hear him? And this is that second major point that we talked about at the beginning. Who or what are you listening to? One of those marks of a follower of Jesus is being able to hear our shepherd. Being able to hear Christ leading in our lives. Uh, Our culture is full of noise, distraction, visual, auditory, smell, all of it. Are we actually hearing from the Lord? And then is that causing... Something in us to shift. Are we then trusting and acting on his leading? Uh, we'll, we'll get to this in a little little while, but John 10 this is Jesus' analogy of him being the good shepherd. Uh, and I say this because I, I think it's a, the, the image of Jesus that I love the most is him guiding me like a sheep to green pastures. Quiet streams, as David told us. So John 10, 1 through 5 says this, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, again, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name And leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Again, scripture twice. His sheep know his voice. What he's saying. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Are there strange voices in our lives, church, that we need to run away from? Is it any other voice besides this? And sometimes I can see scripture really black and white uh, and it's not always super helpful. In this, in this passage, the, the way that I see Jesus speaking is it's you're listening to me or you're listening to the father of lies. You're listening to lies of Satan or you're listening to the truth of Christ. Um, so uh, I want to... Uh, one of my hearts uh, is to equip people. I think I love giving people practical tools and things that they can use and actually like that you as a church could leave here today and like try this this afternoon uh, or tomorrow uh, or Tuesday or, you know, you can give this a shot. Um, and so I want to, I, I learned this a long time ago when I was on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes um, and it's been kind of a system and I like structure and I like systems and, and it's been something that's actually been really helpful for me because I struggle to hear God's voice, um, I, I like to do a lot of stuff, and doing can get in the way of being. And when we be is where we hear God. And sometimes I don't just be still long enough to actually hear what the Lord's teaching. us. So I don't get rid of distractions fast enough where I think of all the checklists and the things that need to happen. And, and so this, um, it's, a, it's an acronym, and it's called SPOT. And Heather, go ahead and throw it up there. But this is something that was uh, gifted to me from uh, someone who discipled me for years as a way to hear and then act on the Lord's leading. So the first S, still, quiet ourselves before the Lord. Again, we live in such a distraction-rich society right now. Get away from the screens. If your Bible's on your phone, I encourage you to find some paper. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. It says the same thing as your phone does. Promise. Promise. Okay, get away from the screens. Get uh, in a quiet place. Maybe you have kids. Maybe, maybe get in up before they do. I know that's early. It might be rough. Find a place to be still. Students, don't try and do this at lunch at school. It might get hard. Honestly, find a place where you can be still and quiet yourself before the Lord. The second one, P position. Uh, this is this is my position. This is where I usually hear from the Lord the best. That is a, that's a chair in the corner. Those of you who have been to our house know where that is. It's Mitchell's chair. Uh, and that's our puppy too, which is, he doesn't help me hear from the Lord. He usually is a distraction. But he was in the photo. I thought it was cute. So, <clears throat> but that's a get in a position. And it might be sitting. It might be laying down. Uh, it might be kneeling. Uh, it might it might be it might be uh, standing, walking. It might be running. It might be even actually working out. What is that position for you where the Lord is going to be able to speak to you? And this is going to take some trial and error. This has been years where this is the spot where being still and sitting and listening to what the Lord has to say. Just allow space. Oh, observation. After we are still and we're 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 um, positioning ourselves to hear. What are we observing? What are we feeling? What are we experiencing? What are some of the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual things that we are sensing within us to either do or not do, to say or not say? Sometimes it's a send a text message to this person, Mitchell. Sometimes it's a, hey, call this person today. Sometimes it's a, hey, here's some some sin that I want you to repent from. Sometimes it's a piece of encouragement. And the last one in spot, T. Trust. Uh, Trust what he's doing. Trust that he's right. Uh, And sometimes he's going to invite you uh, to trust him to a degree where he's going to ask you to step out and, and say something to somebody that you don't know. It's not always a comfortable text to somebody. Like, oh, Jesus loves you. You're on my heart today. Uh, praying for you, like, that's, that's good, but sometimes he might prompt you to step out and to trust him in a greater way. Uh, Quick story, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up, but um, this is something that, that I, I desire to live in a way in which, where I'm able to hear from the Lord, and then do what he's asking me to do. A couple months ago, I was trying to sell my car, and it's kind of a, it's just challenging to sell it and all this stuff. Anyways, I, I, this lady reached out to me, this woman, and she, we were emailing back and forth, and, and she was just saying, like, oh, and asking questions, like, oh, it's for my daughter, and she's a teenager, and she got in a car accident, and so we kind of are in a bit of a pinch, and we need to find a new car real quick, and I love, it was a Subaru, love Subarus, yada, yada, yada. And the whole, the whole time, I'm just like, man, like, okay, like, this is really cool, like, mom, daughter, and in my head, there was just this thought of, like, Where's her husband in this journey? Not saying that women can't like initiate and send emails and buy cars, not saying that, but in my head, I'm just like it just it just seemed a little out of sorts to me. I'm like, okay, okay. And we end up I end up talking on the phone with her, and as I'm on the phone with her, I I just had this moment where the Lord was just like, tell her you're a Christian and ask her if she's a single mom. I'm like, oh, Oh, please no. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, that's awkward. Like, what if she isn't a believer? And she's like, you and like selfishly, I want to sell my car. And so I'm like, she's like, You love God? I'm good. I don't want it. Like that's that's going through my head. And so I'm like, oh man. And so I end up like, okay, Lord, like, it's just a car, right? We'll we'll figure this out. And so she's sharing and and I was like, hey, can I just stop you real quick? I'm a pastor at a church in Sherwood and I love the Lord. And and I feel right now he's just prompting on my heart to ask you if if like if you're a single mom and you're trying to figure all this out for your daughter and it's silent. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shoot. And I hear this woman start to cry. Um and it's just it was it was really powerful. And she um her husband, they had a really messy and awful divorce was from what it it's what she told me um a couple years ago. And she's been kind of on her own, raising two kids. She has an older son, a younger son. They go to Rolling Hills, she's an active uh, servant in their high school youth group, loves Jesus, and she had been feeling like, the, like she was just alone. Like the Lord just didn't see her in this season as she's trying to manage all this and work a full-time job and raise two kids and provide a vehicle for her daughter because she works and doesn't really have a whole lot of money to be able to make it happen. It wasn't expected and all these things. And and the long story, just the short of it, is that she didn't know in the car, which is totally fine. But in that moment, it wasn't about the car. It was about this woman being reminded that the Lord sees her and cares for her. And it was a beautiful time to be able to just pray for her and, and share my story, which is my dad left when I was in middle school. I didn't have a father in my life. And I was raised by my, by my single mom for the rest of middle school and eighth grade and, and then the rest of, of high school. And, and to just sit there, and be like, I, I, I get it. Like, and I understand from like a, a child's perspective, a mom trying to do everything they can do to provide for their kid. That's a big deal. And that was powerful. And her faith grew and my faith grew and it was amazing. And this is, this is what, and I use this. I just was like, still position myself. Okay, Lord, like, is this really what you're asking me to? This is what I'm feeling Let's step out and trust. And it doesn't always turn out. Sometimes it's really awkward. And sometimes I get to walk away like I'm a total buffoon. And, and honestly, I'm like, well, that's okay. Like, I messed it up. God's perfect. I messed that one up. That's my bad. I heard wrong. I, I wasn't on, we weren't on the same page. And this is, this, is my, this is why I share these things, is because the Lord desperately and he deeply desires to talk to his kids. Us. He wants to lead his sheep, us, his church. His his voice is loud. He is speaking constantly to us. Are we in a place where we're able to receive? Or are our hearts hard as a church? Do we not have room for him in our lives? Are we not willing to hear what he has to say because we think we have it figured out? I want to invite you to to stand, and uh, I want to read this verse over you before we wrap things up. But I I believe that if if we want to hear from God, church, we need to be free from sin. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is being off. Sin is, is an inhibitor. It's a wedge driven between us and Christ. If we want to hear from God, we need to be set free from the sin that's in our lives, which only comes by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And repentance, turning back to him, confession of sin, and inviting him to make us whole again. And that gives us boldness. Hebrews 4.16 was the verse that the Lord put on my heart for for us all today says this. Let us then approach God's throne with throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together and listen to your word, Lord, and and Papa, I pray that that this this body these people your kids your children that we would have ears to hear the voice of you that we would hear the leading you have of our lives because it's very present and it's very real lord that we would orient ourselves in light of of your word that we would change our positioning because of what you've given us in your scriptures lord and and I do ask for boldness in this church. I do ask for boldness in your people across the globe to step out in obedience to your leading. To step out to those that, that maybe it seems awkward for us, but remind us that it's not about us, that it's about you. That you get the glory forever and ever. Amen. We thank you that you desire to use us, Lord, even though we are broken and fallen. We ask all this in Jesus. In that Dallas Willard quote, he uses a word orient. And I think it's a a powerful word for this week. Uh, I don't know about you, but I I try to think in like little chunks and little little words and snippets to it's rememberable for me so I can act on it. And this week I want to ask us as a church to reorient our lives towards him. And maybe that's some small ways. Maybe instead of listening to the radio in the car, we turn it off and create space to hear from the Lord. Or maybe instead of reaching for our phones first thing in the morning, we reach for our Bibles or devotional, or, or, or maybe we just get up and, and pray first thing. Or maybe instead of listening to uh, other music, we, we listen to worship music for a week. Or What is one small thing this week that the Lord is asking you to do to reorient Yourself towards him one thing that's it one thing and I believe in that one action we'll begin to see Jesus more we'll be able to hear Jesus better we'll be able to live like Jesus lived 2,000 years ago right here right now and we get to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven because there's a king on a throne who gave up his life for us to be in right relationship with God So this week, as we go out, I wanna challenge you to do that. And share, what are you doing? How are you reorienting yourself? Shoot me a text, send me an email. Reach out to Scott or one of the Olivias and let us know because we'd love to be with you in that. We'd love to partner with you and pray with you in those spaces. So as we go this week, we take the presence of God with us. As we head into our weeks, we take the light of Christ with us as we head into our weeks. God bless you. Have a great week. And if you have that connection card, friendly reminder to drop it in the basket on your way out. We'll see you next week.